cotton, that soft, fluffy, staple plant fibre, was well known and used from ancient times. It grew wild, it travelled the globe naturally via its salt-resistant seeds, finally becoming a domesticated crop when societies recognised they could stay and live in one place year in and year out. Cotton played an important role in the history of India, the British Empire and the United States. It was and still is an important crop and global commodity. So let's foray into the world of cotton from the very outset with the earliest discoveries of this versatile cloth, with the inception of the spinning wheel and the cotton gin, which helped increase production enormously, as well as its impact on world trade and economies. In some countries, competition from Indian cotton textiles resulted in new sumptuary laws, limitations on what people could wear and sell. It's a story and a half, this one, so let's jump straight in. Hello and welcome to the Stitch Safari podcast, a sprightly and upbeat expedition into the alluringly appealing ambrosial world of stitch, sewing and embroidery. Each fortnight we'll trek through and discover the utilitarian, the decorative, the quirky and the just plain fun world that is the art of the needle. My name's Cathy Jack Copeland and I'm the Stitch Safari Expedition Leader. I'm an Australian textile artist, teacher, judge, blogger and stitch enthusiast whose work in contemporary machine stitch became my business. Cotton, a wool exceeding in beauty and goodness, that of sheep. So says ancient Greek historian Herodotus in the 5th century BCE. Another Greek historian, Strabo, writes of the vividness of Indian fabrics, supporting the Indian-Arab trade of cotton fabrics around 130 CE. Even Alexander the Great cottoned on that cotton clothing was far more comfortable for his troops than their previous woolen ones. Now, I love wool, but sometimes it just has to be cotton and nothing else especially next to the skin. It's hard to determine just when and where cotton began to be domesticated and used to spin yarn to create cloth. Some sources say around India and Pakistan, dating from 6000 BC. Other sources maintain cotton fabric was first found in Peru around that same time. But by 3000 BCE, Cotton was being grown and processed in both Mexico and Arizona. Egyptians were a little later growing and spinning cotton from the 6th century. What is clear though is that ancient cotton textiles have been found in graves and city ruins in civilizations with dry climates such as India, Pakistan, Mexico where the fabric didn't decay leaving a scanned history trail for us to uncover. So let's take a look at cotton as a crop. Even though this seems a little strange, cotton is actually considered to be a fruit. According to a 2017 article, Is Cotton a Flower? by Fig and Bloom. After 35 or so days from planting, a flower bud appears, followed by the actual flowering. 
the rounded seed capsules called cotton bowls begin to fill and open after about 100 days. And hidden within these bowls are about 32 immature seeds from which the cotton fibres will grow. And that's why cotton is considered a fruit, because the bowl itself contains seeds. Now, I've worked with cotton for years and I know so little about this very interesting plant. The fibres mature and thicken to form a hollow cotton fibre inside the fig-sized bowl, which eventually bursts open, exposing the underlying cotton. This needs to dry before picking. The total time for the growing process is about 180 days, with each plant producing 15 to 20 bowls, and each bowl containing approximately 500,000 cotton fibres most of which is pure cellulose. Now, let's have a little bit of fun with cotton. The word cotton originated from an Arabic word which refers to fine fabric and was probably distilled from those Arab traders who bought and sold spices as well as bolts of cotton, moving them both through to the Middle East and then on to Europe. Ancient Romans and Greeks had many uses for the fibre, using it for awnings for their buildings and homes, sails for their boats, including war boats, and of course, clothing. The ingenious Peruvians used a dark-coloured cotton fibre to help camouflage their fishing nets. Clever. But let's not forget the Aztecs, who thought cotton was so precious they used it as legal tender. Now, they weren't on their own doing this, as the current US paper currency is made up of 75% cotton and 25% linen. Although a currency may well be on its way out after COVID, certainly here in Australia anyway. I used to think cotton only came in one colour, but I was wrong. In fact, Earlier varieties produced crops of coloured cotton fibres ranging from tan, red, green, pink, brown and even a blue. Sadly though, these varieties simply aren't commercially viable today because they have such short length fibres. One of the beauties of cotton is its absorbency and strength. It absorbs 30 times its own weight. In fact, it's so absorbent, researchers are trying to figure out a way for cotton to be used to clean up oil spills along coastlines in the open seas. And I hope they're successful because that's valuable research. The other feature of this versatile plant fibre is its strength. Most substances get weaker when exposed to moisture. However, cotton actually does the opposite and becomes stronger as the moisture content increases due to the molecular structure of its fibres. Cotton was a f common fabric in the Middle Ages, hand-woven on a loom until the 1350s when the spinning wheel from Europe changed and improved the speed of cotton spinning. And it's around this time that a worm gear cotton gin was invented in India, then used in the Mughal Empire around the 16th century. Now, I checked out what a worm gear looks like. 
it, it looks like a worm. Um, it's hand propelled. Uh, the drive generates the movement of gears. It's fascinating and incredibly clever. Cotton becomes a highly sought after fibre during the Renaissance when Vasco da Gama opens sea routes to Asia. However, the technology of cotton processing moves west, not east. Indian Christians uh, revealed their secrets for creating colourful patterns and this helped generate the European textile industry. Cotton for textile manufacture was the largest industry in the Mughal Empire and included paste goods such as shirts and sheets as well as calicos and muslins either unbleached or in a variety of colours and this accounted for a large part of their international trade. Bengali cotton textiles were exported in large quantities to the Dutch, to Europe, Indonesia and Japan and in the early 18th century Indian textiles commanded the Indian Ocean trade, were sold in the Atlantic trade and had a major share of the West African trade. In other words, Indian textiles were a major player in world trade at this time. A written work from 2018, Sumptuary Laws in Early Modern England by Rhys Mason, summarised by Bryn Sawyer, offers pertinent information on these laws. England used sumptuary laws from the 12th to the 18th century as a means to restrain extravagance and balance trade by limiting imports and they had far-reaching effects on the type, colour, amount of fabric and embellishments able to be worn by different social classes. With the expansion of the middle classes and the emergence of trading companies such as the East India Trading Company, it became difficult to differentiate between the classes as those lower down the social scale could now afford nicer things. This worried the monarchy and the rich elite with numerous sumptuary laws enacted to help rectify this anomaly. Sumptuary laws were used throughout a number of cultures around the world at different times to regulate consumption and to restrain extravagance. The Act of 1571 stated wool caps must be worn on Sundays by all males over the age of six. Now this was to protect the British wool growers as England saw the rise of imported cotton and silk as a threat to their very own wool industry. Then the Calico Act of 1700 prohibited the import of cotton, but when this didn't work, another law was enacted in 1721, prohibiting the import, sale and wearing of cotton. You'd have to have a good memory to remember to adhere to all these laws. Towards the end of the 18th century, these laws were repealed with the invention of machines leading to better competition between British manufacturers and their eastern counterparts. The rise of cotton's global importance was a direct result of the cultural transformation of Europe and Britain's trading empires. By 1664, 
The East India Company was importing a quarter of a million pieces into Britain and by the 18th century, cleanliness became more of a concern for the middle classes, increasing the demand for colourful and easily laundered fabric even more. In 1791 America, cotton production was small, but with the Anglo-French War restricting access to continental Europe, the US cotton industry grew due to an increase in British exports, innovations in spinning, weaving and steam power, cheaper land and a slave labour force. By the 1850s, the main cotton states of Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi and Louisiana had a population made up of 50% slaves. Slaves were considered the most important asset in cotton cultivation at this time, with more cotton production equaling more profits and, sadly, more and more slaves to cultivate, pick and clean the cotton. The 13th Amendment of the US Constitution abolished slavery in the United States in 1865. Cotton's importance as a world crop can be clearly seen in 1876 when Egypt was sent into deficit after cotton exports in Britain and France dwindled, forcing the country to declare bankruptcy. British cotton production peaked in 1912 and during World War I, cotton couldn't be exported to foreign markets, forcing some countries like Japan to build their own factories. India's boycott of British cotton products, urged on by Mahatma Gandhi and his Khadi movement, damaged British imperial rule and a downturn in European cotton meant a resurgence of a more mechanised Indian industry able to compete on the world market. Since the 1980s, demand for cotton has doubled with India, China and the United States being the main producers, with the global textile and clothing industry employing 23.6 million workers, 75% of which are women. History shows that cotton is a highly valued fibre. Indeed, in the 16th and 17th centuries, it was more valued than either silk or wool. For us here today, it's become an everyday, comfort-oriented textile and a leading apparel fibre worldwide. Think Liberty of London cotton prints, Egyptian cotton sheets and even our everyday jeans. It's suggested that 60% of all our interior textiles, excluding floor coverings, are made from cotton or cotton blends. So next time you reach for that bath towel or slip into a fresh set of crisp cotton sheets, think of the cotton bowl, that soft, fluffy staple plant fibre and some of the history it's helped create. Thank you so much for listening today. There was much I didn't cover. Perhaps we'll revisit some areas of cotton production separately. On the next episode of the Stitch Safari podcast, we're trekking into the world of wool. And to finish, here's a quote from the amazing Willie Nelson. I was influenced a lot by those around me, 
there was a lot of singing that went on in the cotton fields. Bye for now. Bye for now.